Well, hello, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Clint Clifton. This podcast is intended to help church planters and sending churches aspiring to make more disciples through church planting. Well, today we're going to be talking to Dave Harvey. Dave's the executive director of the Sojourn Network in Louisville. Uh, Sojourn exists to help pastors plant and grow and multiply uh, healthy churches. And uh, Dave's also a teaching pastor at Four Oaks Church in Tallahassee. He's written a couple of great books. Uh, one of them's called When Sinners Say I Do. He wrote another one called Am I Called? He wrote uh, another one called Rescuing Ambition. Just a really uh, thoughtful pastor and theologian. And you're going to be really helped by what he has to say to us today on uh, leadership. So these guys don't know a, a lot about you, probably. I they read. Uh, I gave them uh, "Am I Called" a few weeks ago, and they some of them probably looked through that. Uh, but basically, I I mean, I know Jordan sent you some of the rundown. I wanted you to just talk to us about things that you think are important for these guys, particularly related to family and um, and uh, calling. The things that are, seem to be kind of your uh, sweet spots. Just tell us tell us what we need to know, and we'll ask questions. Well, thanks. I mean, I'm, I'm really, um, I've been looking forward to this time uh, because I'm, I, I love talking to church planters. I think that's one of the most strategic uses of my time. And uh, I'm, I'm, so I'm honored that you invited me to join you. Thank you. Um, so just to give you a, you know, a little background on, on my story, I, I was born and raised in the Pittsburgh area. Um, converted in college. Kim and I just celebrated our 34th anniversary on Sunday. And uh, we've got four kids. Oldest is 29. He is a, a captain in the army. Got a 27-year-old daughter married up in Philly. 23-year-old son and a 19-year-old daughter. Um, so I, we... Uh, Kim and I moved to Philadelphia in the uh, mid-80s to take part in a church plant there. I became, I eventually came on staff at that church, became the lead pastor of that church uh, for 20 years. That, that church was a part of Sovereign Grace Ministries. Um, went to Westminster and uh, eventually turned the church over to a younger guy and went to work full-time with uh, Sovereign Grace and uh, was responsible for church planting, church care, and international expansion. And then about three years ago, relocated down to Tallahassee to take a position as pastor of preaching in, uh, in Four Oaks Church that Clint was just talking about. And, uh, and got involved with Sojourn Network. And so now I'm doing uh, a small portion of my time in the church here as a teaching pastor, but I'm 75% as the executive director of, uh, of Sojourn Network. What, what I thought I would do, Clint, is, um, is just maybe kind of launch out into 2 Corinthians and talk a bit about it. Um, I don't necessarily want this to become you know, just a monologue, though, so I'm happy to, to stop and break it up. Um, I want to talk about weakness, and then I want to apply it to marriage a little bit. I, I want to apply it to leadership and marriage, and I wanted to talk specifically about this category 
because I think it's, it's central to understanding part of what God does and the nature of God's activity in mission. Um, and so what I want to do is go back to that, uh, that familiar and common passage in chapter 11, maybe begin around verse 30 and uh, read through verse, let's go through verse 10 of chapter 12. One of the things I've been thinking about with respect to this section and how it applies to my own experience in mission is, uh, is just the, you know, the paradox, the apparent contradiction that exists within it. But it's a paradox that I think meets every leader and I think church planters in particular in the reality of their uncertainties and fears and and faults and 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 flaws and um, you know with this this truth that uh, that at first glance I mean it almost just seems nonsensical and and that is that the the power of God flows through our weakness and that's that's the paradox and and what I want to do is I want to talk about that a little bit first from the context itself and then talk about it as it applies to leadership and, and marriage. Paul, this turmoil, his, his proverbial children, the Corinthians, are, are influenced away from, are being influenced away from him because of these intruders. He, uh, Paul calls them super apostles. And their aim is to undermine Paul's authority to win the Corinthians over to themselves. And it was basically, you know, an assault that they were making on Paul and his credibility based on two specific areas, his competence and his credentials. So, you know, in, in chapter 10, they're, they're basically saying Paul's, he's unimpressive. His, his bodily presence is unremarkable. Uh, chapter 11, they're saying his preaching is substandard. His chapter 10, his best games are in his letters. You know, he's only bold when he's away. And, uh, and then, you know, it, if, if that's not enough, he has no letters of commendation, which you guys know were like the credentials of that day. And, you know, according to, to, to the, his detractors, he doesn't charge for his teaching. And then to circle back around to chapter 12 that, that Jordan just read, um, he has no supernatural credentials as well. One of the ways the super apostles were establishing their, the, the basis of their authority and the basis of their leadership was by these supernatural experiences they had. So, so to kind of summarize in a sentence what these intruders are saying about Paul, it's that he's weak. He's, he's a weak guy. And so Paul is in a position where he has to give an account for his ministry. And, and at the heart of this defense in 2 Corinthians chapters 10 through 13 is this paradox. It kind of organizes around two different ideas. One is that he's telling his story. You know, he's, Paul, Paul's basically saying, hey, when I tell my story, my story reveals my weakness. You know, if we go up into verse, into chapter 11 more, Paul's just giving this, and you guys have read this, this unbelievable chronicle of, of his sufferings for the mission. He says, you know, countless beatings, often near death, 
Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times beaten with rods. Once stoned. Three times shipwrecked. Night and a day adrift. Frequent journeys. Danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Dangers from my own people. Dangers from Gentiles. In the city. In the wilderness. At sea. False brothers. Toil and hardship. Sleep nights. Hunger and thirst. Often in food. Often without food. In cold and exposure. You know, so so it's like this. This is how Paul is mounting his defense, you know, to these esteemed apologists who are parading um, themselves around in front of the Corinthians, who who delighted in their oratory. Uh, Paul strikes this contrast to the whole way that they lead, and they establish their leadership by boasting in a list of accomplishments that just represent the opposite of their world, the opposite of the, the way they lead. You know, so Paul's saying, Corinthians, here's my resume. And he, then he offers this catalog of suffering and, and struggle. And, and then in the event that we just kind of then see Paul as if he's just supernaturally able to endure all of this with little impact to his emotional state, kind of throws open the window into his struggles with pressure and and even anxiety. I'm, I'm thinking of verse 28 there. Apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's a, that's a stunning statement for an apostle to make. And I love it because I love the fact that rather than acting like he's above it all or impervious to the temptations that, that you men are going to encounter as you go out into the field, um, Paul's, he's coming right to the table and saying, hey, my daily life is filled with pressure. My daily life has all of this anxiety involved in it. And, uh, you know, I think we have to pay attention to that because I think it's, it's telegraphing something to us about what we can expect um, as we begin to serve in the ways that God has called us to serve and, and you men to serve. So, so just to kind of wrap that up, here's what Paul's driving at. He's basically saying, my suffering shows my weakness and, and this is part of his defense. I'm not like you, Mr. Super Apostle. I, I'm not boastful. I'm not self-confident. I'm not worldly wise. I'm not, you know, living a life of high class ease. I've, I've suffered greatly for my beliefs. I feel pressure. I experience anxiety. You want me to boast? That's my story. And, and, and so... You know, you know, it really does kind of jump up in our face and, 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 and invites the question of, you know, what, what is it that we boast in? What, what, what are we really striving for here as we're thinking about being sent out to get something established? What do, how are we expecting God to work in our hearts and, and in our marriage and with our kids? You know, I've been involved in church planting for 30 years, and, and honestly, guys, I mean, if someone were to ask me to recite the most important lesson I learned, it, it would be that I thought the mission, I thought this whole idea of leadership was going to portray my strengths, never realizing that God had ordained it to reveal my weaknesses. 
And and that and God completely flipped the script on me because I kept thinking that this was going to be primarily about gifts. And and it is about gifts. I'm not trying to paint the contrast too stark. I'm simply trying to say that, man, there's this whole other thing that God is about where he's setting the stage to use his power through your life, and it's going to come in a very unexpected way. Clint, as you send out guys and, and we send out guys in Sojourn Network, the reality is we're sending them out to suffer. And, and, and so it's understanding what's, how things are rolling in 2 Corinthians and what's actually happen, happening here begins to bring greater clarity on the whole thorn thing of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because Paul's, you know, saying in chapter 11 that my story reveals my weakness. And then he goes to the supernatural experience and he's basically saying, my thorn reminds me of my weakness. And, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why, by the way, just as an aside, that whole that whole little thing in verse 32 and 33 where, you know, Paul's like talking about all this stuff and then it, it, he just seems to go random by telling the story about, you know, being uh, in Damascus and the governor under King Artus guarding the walls. They dropped me down in a basket through a window in the wall, escaped his hands. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like w what that is, is that's the capstone of that entire, um, it's the climax of the defense that he's given prior to that, where ultimately he's being let down. There's a, there's a final story of descent. Um, and, and that's how he's punctuating that section by giving this final story that he's a fugitive of justice, that he's, you know, that he's running in the, in the night, that he's sneaking away in silence. And, and now, you know, beginning chapter 12, there's this astounding experience of ascent in contrast to the descent. And, but, but, but the point of this story is not to exalt in the supernatural, but where he takes it is to exalt in his weakness. And so that's the point. Um, so he says, I know a man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, don't, don't we love the fact that Paul's so reluctant to gain recognition and reputation from his experience that he, he introduces himself anonymously. Um, but again, he's doing this because he wants to avoid what the super, super apostles are doing. He wants his credibility. Well, I mean, he, he says it in verse six, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So he wants his credibility based upon his character and his actions. And, uh, and by the way, you know you're beginning to get the whole weakness motif when you're more concerned that people are going to think too much of you than too little of you. So he, you know, he says, hey, I'm, you know, I'm caught up into the third heaven. Uh, and while I'm there, I heard these inexpressible things. But to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given to me. And, you know, most of the commentators indicate that when it says a thorn was given, it means the thorn was given from God. And we don't know the exact nature of the thorn, and you guys know all this, but you know, whether it's sickness or serious eye condition or persecution or whatever, speech defect. But we do know 
all we need to know. And one thing that we know is that whatever this thing was, it was substantial in that the same guy that had, you know, been beaten with rods three times, stoned once, three times shipwrecked, countless beatings, always in danger. He, he prayed not once, not twice, but three times for this thing to be removed because of the way it affected him. So this, this thorn was given to him, and then God gives him enough understanding to know that it was a messenger of Satan, but it was given to him to keep him from being too elated by what he experienced through this amazing visit to the third heaven. So, so God takes him to the third heaven. He gives him this incredible experience. The incredible experience elicits this great elation. This great elation, though, creates a vulnerability. And so God gives him this thorn, something that was ordained by God, but is also the work of Satan. So, I mean, just ponder this for a second, because this is kind of like mind-numbing. You know, God uses Satan to protect Paul from sin, uh, from being too elated. Um, God uses Satan to produce godliness in Paul. I mean, you could just go all kind of different places with that. But uh, the, my point is that this thorn that God gives him is designed to restrain Paul, to keep Paul grounded, to prevent him from being too elated, perhaps too proud, to remind him that he's human and dependent and not home. In other words, to remind him that he's weak. Um, I, I was reading a, a commentary, a Barnett's commentary on 2 Corinthians, and I, I pulled out this this quote where, where Barnett says, the thorn from God kept Paul from imagining himself as a spiritual superman and revealed to him the reality of his human mortality and weakness despite his extraordinary revelations. Uh, listen this, guys. Check this out. This is what he says. The thorn also kept Paul pinned close to the Lord in trust and confidence. So, so whatever this thing was and whatever this messenger of Satan was, the effect of it was that it pinned him close to Jesus. And, 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 and I want to say that because I want to point out that as you guys go out, you can fully expect that you're going to have these experiences of elation because I don't, there are a few things apart from conversion, marriage, and childbirth that are more exhilarating than church planting. The, the, the kinds of things that it calls forth from a man, the kinds of, uh, the, the, the breadth of, of, of places that he has to apply himself in order to see this come about from, from the standpoint of human agency. But... I think you can also fully expect that to keep you from being too elated, some kind of thorn will be given to you. And that it's going to be a blessing, but it's going to pin you close to the Lord in trust and confidence. 
And so part of where I go with that, and this is where I you know, want to just apply it to both leadership and marriage. Part of where I go with that is just to say, one of the things that we have to come to terms with before we go out is that God uses leadership to reveal weakness. And, and I, leadership is so often talked about in so many other different ways. I really want to punch this point. Um, whether it's your leadership in the church, whether it's your leadership over your wife, if you're married, or over your kids. Um, you know, one, one of the most surprising things about Christian leadership is that God takes strong people and he pulverizes them until they're weak. And, uh, and you know, just, you know, this is not like I don't believe in aspirations and ambitions and godly aggressiveness. I I wrote a book on, on rescuing ambition because I feared that our vision and applications of humility was creating a generation of men who were potentially too modest to aspire to anything. And so I do believe in leadership and, and taking initiative and aspiring to things. But maybe a better way to get at what I'm trying to convey is to say that God takes folks, men like us, who have come to be dependent upon natural gifts and natural abilities, and he throws at them trials and disappointments and betrayals and delays and defections and depression until they discover that they are weak so that he can make them reliant. And, you know, I, I, I think this is where, as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm 56, I've been in ministry now 30 years, you know, the message of, of what I say to church planters has changed so much. Because one of the biggest surprises in, in leadership over the last 30 years has been that I never thought my strengths could become so dangerous and my weaknesses could become so glorious, you know. I, I, I never imagined that kind of um, smuggled within the gift of leadership could be this kind of smug self-assurance that my leadership could solve all of my problems. That if I just applied my leadership to all areas of my sin, that that was going to resolve the problem or all areas where my children were struggling or where my wife needed to come to faith for something, or where the church was weak in some area. You know, that, that the very strengths that I possess could become carriers of, of, uh, of misguided confidence. And, and, and then, in, you know, in contrast to that, 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 that kind of tucked away into the areas of my weakness would be would be an inexplicable grace that would deliver this power <clears throat> and that that ultimately when it comes to how god works um, the, the secret of of the of the way wisdom is defined in first corinthians and second corinthians is that it's not rooted in our ability but in our inability it's not in our ability but in in god's ability. so 
So, you know, God uses leadership to reveal weakness. And let me just make a comment about, about marriage, and then let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, and that is that church planting, I think, calls forth every weakness in a marriage. And I think this is one of those things where I, I just thought, how could I, how could I serve Clint? How could I serve these guys? And that is to just think, okay, what, you know, what does it look like to go in with eyes wide open? And I think well, eyes wide open helps us to understand that church planting is going to be a great revealer of, uh, of the foundations that are built within your own soul and within your marriage and in your family. And you can fully expect that there's going to be sins in your own life and sins in the life of your wife that might be revealed in the process. And, and how you relate to those, let's, let's apply it to marriage. In fact, let me personalize this. How I relate to my spouse, to my wife in her sins, in her weakness, that reveals the true, my true grasp of the gospel. In other words, if you really want to know how effectively a man understands the gospel and applies the gospel and on what level he truly gets it, look at how he responds when his spouse sins against him or when he has to deal with the weaknesses, the limitations that, uh, that, that his wife brings into the marriage. And I think one of the things that you can anticipate is not only will these things surface, but it's going to be an opportunity for you to express the, the mercy of God to your wife as, as, as church planting reveals your heart, as church planting reveals her heart. That, uh, you know, I, one, of the, one of the passages that I've, that I've, I've pondered a lot with respect to marriage is the one in Luke six, where, where Jesus is saying, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the most high for he is kind to these two categories of people. Listen to this. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Um, so you guys are probably too young to have teenagers, but but mark this and and pull it out in about five or five or ten years. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, and then and then he wraps up by saying, "Be merciful, even as your father is merciful." So one of the ways that I think about that is that you know as as I move into situations where where the pressure or the experience of them is going to reveal my heart, is going to reveal my weaknesses, my wife's heart, my wife's weaknesses. What mercy does, mercy makes ministry a primary goal for your marriage, a primary goal for your mission. Um, you know, to, 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 to enjoy and to display the tender, loving care for another sinner. In other words, to just do what that passage is. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. 
And the reason why this is important in the context of Second Corinthians is because this doesn't just apply to sin, but it applies to weakness as well. Mercy comes into play in particular with, with frailty, in, the, in particular to those areas where, you know, we are not, our, 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 our wife is not God. She's not omnicompetent. She's not omnipotent. She's not omniscient. Um, it, it's, the, it's the areas where we encounter one another's humanity, um, you know, their imperfections, our limitations. And it's those areas that I think we can be most vulnerable to, uh, you know, to exaggerate and to have conflict over. And not necessarily sins, but the weaknesses, because we always expect that marriage should be so much more than, than what it is. So I, uh, I wanted to, to just set that before you men, the, the weakness that is dis displayed by Paul as part of his defense, the weakness that is experienced by Paul because of because certain things in the mission were incredibly elating the weakness that is going to be revealed as you go out into the field and the weakness that will be displayed in your marriage and in your family that will that will provide an opportunity for you to extend mercy and to, to do ministry among your first congregation and your most important person, and that's, that's your wife. Could you just talk to hundreds of church planters, like what kinds of things do you see, what kinds of uh, issues do you see often coming to the table uh, in a marriage through, through church planting? Like are there any like major categories or anything like that that you could comment on? Yeah, I think... Uh, I think it reveals um, the unbelief that can reside deeper in our heart uh, because there's so many, I mean, from a sociological standpoint, what church planning does is it takes all the major stressors that someone can experience in life and, and throws them together in one experience. So whether it's, you know, relocating your home, which, you know, is a big deal, but you're, you know, you're relocating your, your home, you're starting a new job in a new area, uh, you're leaving your people, sometimes leaving your family, you don't have the same support system. Um, all of those stressors all of a sudden are, are, are surfacing garbage that's down there that can be relatively, you know, insulated and protected apart from that experience. So certain idols that uh, we can manage when we have uh, an environment where the scaffolding of relationship is already there, the scaffolding gets pulled away. So our, our idols of control can, you know, can come out or comfort. And um, all of it is, is, is understandable. None of it is a, a major concern. I, I think what happens though is guys leave and they begin to have it begin to experience it and it's shocking in some way you know it's like we it, it can jar their faith and undermine their confidence in God because somehow they were expecting that mission 
while difficult, was not going to make them look as bad as it does. Or mission, while difficult, was not going to make their marriage appear as messy as it really is. And, uh, and what I'm saying is, no, this, this thing that God is launching, it's, it's, first a, it, it's first about your own soul and something that God wants to construct within you and then within your marriage. There's a lot being planted here <laughs> apart from a church. How candid should a church planter be about his trials in marriage with the people in his church and with, because it's usually a really tight-knit group that's starting a church, you know? Yeah, I think it's, it's proportional to his, his level of trust, but also that there's a little asterisk I have next to that, and that is that, that the church planter ultimately has to build the culture of community, fellowship, and transparency that he wants to see characterize the church. And there's no way to do that apart from his own risk-taking, apart from his own vulnerability, apart from his own confessions. And, and actually that becomes another point where, you know, situations with the husband and wife can come into play because, you know, you're, you're putting stuff out there at times and you're doing it maybe among a group that isn't accustomed to that or doesn't understand it as readily. And so I, I think that, um, I think there, there's two things that are happening and, and I'm not avoiding the question here, Clint, I'm trying to illustrate the tension of what you're walking in and then, you know, invite you to engage the spirit of God in it. But so on one side, I want to see a church planter or a pastor appropriately protected so that, you know, their, their experience of fellowship can be among people they trust with an awareness that they're going to get help and prayer or at least some encouragement. The other side of that tension, down on, walking down the continuum to the other side, is the culture-shaping part of this, where in order for a culture to develop, a gospel culture to develop, there's got to be a kind of vulnerability and self-emptying and transparency. And, and maybe not a reciprocal kind of experience in fellowship where you're pouring out, but not necessarily receiving. And so you have to find the self-disclosure issue has to be located in that continuum. And it has to be located on the basis of your faith towards God, um, the comfort of your wife, and, uh, and, and, and just the people that you're, that you're actually sitting in front of and dealing with. I, I think one of the things that sh should characterize um, healthy kind of whatever we're calling this, whether it's relationship or community or fellowship, is that, is that when self-disclosure is taking place, it's taking place about me and about my contribution, about what God is showing me. If I, if I find I'm sitting with a couple, either in a counseling session or in a community group, and I, I find that the husband is referencing the wife a lot or referencing the marriage a lot, without locating himself in it as an active agent 
than me, that says a lot about his understanding of the gospel and kind of leadership he's bringing to the situation. So I think the gospel is what personalizes our transparency and our authenticity and, and makes it about us. And that creates healthy community. Dave, what, what kind of, of things are, are you guys encouraging planters to do? Like um, maybe the first six months, first year and creating rhythms in a new city with your family, with your wife, what do you encourage wives to do kind of in that same vein that you're kind of seeing in, in some bigger cities like DC? Yeah. Um, I think that's a great question. Um, I think there are Im important rhythms beginning with, and this is obvious to you guys, but I, it, it should always be said just regarding one's, you know, devotional time, the connection time with Jesus time in the Bible, time in prayer. Um, there are other things like um, whether you do, you know, a date night or you call it what you want, you have breakfast together, uh, but there's a, there's a time that you have set apart that you can both look to and that you're, you're attempting to be disciplined enough to not just import the church plant and all the problems or the people uh, into that time, that that's time where you are, um, you know, that you're spending getting to know one another better and we're talking about whatever it was is that refreshes you. I, I think that the extent to which I, I, I'm talking to my wife about the things of the church, the extent to which I think she's gifted and graced to be able to carry and advise. Um, carry means that, you know, there are some ladies who can hear things and they don't take it on, they don't take it personally. Um, they're really able to live above that and that's a grace that's on their life. Um, and then there are other ladies that will hear the problems of the church and it will immediately incite uh, fears or, or it will engage them in a way that will make them feel responsible or will bring them in and, and, and preoccupy them. So that, it's, that all has to do with the way that people are wired and I think where, what temp, kind of temptations they're vulnerable to. And so studying my wife enough to know what refreshes her and what burdens her is going to be an important part of identifying the rhythm that's going to make that first year a healthy year and not a year that's just that she looks back on and says, it was about the church plan 24-7. All right. Well, we know you have to go. Thank you uh, for spending time with us. We really uh, appreciate it very much. Great being with you guys. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, man. Okay. See you. Bye. Well, today's program is brought to you in part by the Sojourn Network. They're working to plant gospel-loving churches all over the country. You can learn more about the Sojourn Network by visiting their website at sojournnetwork.com. Special thanks to Dave Harvey, our guest for the day. And I'd also like to thank you, the podcast listener who made it all the way to the very end of the program. 
and of course to Bobby O, who produced and edited today's show. If you'd like more information about the Church Planting Podcast, you can visit our website, clintclifton.org. There you'll find additional posts about church planting and notes and links from today's show. 